When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. It's mentally yours for Melon and Welcome to Mentally Yours Coronavirus. Mentally Yours is special coronavirus themed episodes as we're in the midst of a pandemic and it is messing with our mental health. Today we're going to be talking to um, Professor Paul Gilbert, a clinical psychologist at the University of Derby who provides academic advice to compassion in politics. He's going to be talking to us about why safe relating might be a better alternative to social distancing as a phrase. He's also going to be chatting about what the government should be doing to look after our mental health during lockdown and once it ends. Okay, so I'm a professor of clinical psychology at the University of Derby and also University of Queensland in Australia. And uh, <clears throat> so I've been studying depression and processes like that for a while. And we've been working on a therapy called Compassion Focus Therapy, particularly to help people who are very highly self-critical and shame-prone. So we're going to talk to you today about kind of coronavirus and its impact on mental health in general. What kind of impact can you see the coronavirus pandemic and lockdown ha- having on the UK as a whole, mentally? Big question, uh, I know. Yeah, no, it's a great question. So you really think about it in two parts. So the first part is the mental health impact of the virus itself. Mm-hmm. And there are different aspects to this. One is, of course, the reality of the danger of the virus and the degree of risk we are all under uh, in catching it and if we catch it. Uh, the risk of having a complication or even dying from it. So in order for us to maintain a, a reasonable balance in maintaining our fears and contextualizing our fears, we have to keep that understanding of that risk um, in perspective, right? So we know that it's probably around 1%. It's higher in the elderly than in the younger people. What we have to be careful of with our media 
is constantly stoking fear. And one way you do that is by what it's doing at the moment, which is to constantly talk about um, individual cases and Mrs. Bloggs and Mrs. Mr. Jeffrey. Now, these are all extremely tragic cases, you know, but what it probably does is do more to stimulate quite a lot of anxiety because it brings it very close to yourself personally, doesn't it, really? You know, the fact of the matter is 600,000 people die in this country every year and every one of them will have a story to tell you. The relatives will all have a story to tell you of, you know, the wife who struggled with breast cancer, you know, the, the child that got leukemia. So these stories are always, death is always going to tell a sad story. So the question we have to be able to deal with is that if we are hearing these stories all the time, it's going to stimulate quite a lot of grief in us, quite a lot of stress in us, quite a lot of panic. So... Part of the first part of the issue is really how can we create an environment where we keep our sense of threat under proportion? We don't constantly stimulate this identification with victims for whom we can do absolutely nothing. I think that is a worry I have, and people get caught up in all of that. So that's that's quite important. I think part of it is that it's this invisible threat, and people don't necessarily know everything about it. Um, there's a lot of kind of fear of if you go outside, bad things will happen. How do you deal with that mentally? Because that is, you know, it is true that we should be staying inside, but at the same time, it's not this big, horrible, evil thing that will definitely attack you. How do you manage that mentally? I think that's a brilliant point, actually. I mean, that is exactly the point about we can stoke it up. So, I mean, I'm sure you have have been standing in queues you know, with our two-meter distance, of course, listening to people talking. And they, some of them really think that if they get it, it's mm. a, it is a death sentence, right? Well, yeah, that's a, tra- that's a tragedy. One of the things that we've tried to do is in the Compassionate Mind Foundation is to help people focus on the fact that, focus on the compassion orientation, which is to be aware that actually there are people who are working, risking their own lives to save you. So my focus is that should I get the virus and I have a complication, then there are people out there who will risk their lives to save me. And focusing on this compassion holding or being held in a compassionate community by people who will do everything they can to to save you, I think is a way in which we can orientate, not away from the fear, but help us contain the fear Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not just me and I've got to protect myself and if I get it, I'm dead. It's 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 not that. And the other point that's made all the time is that most of us, most of us are locking down to save others. We're saving the vulnerable. We're not, we are not so much at risk. We're not invulnerable. Of course, we're not invulnerable. People, young people do die. But uh, generally speaking, the, the risk is to the elderly and those who have underlying health conditions. So lockdown is for the benefit of others. So we have to keep those two compassion processes and I'm doing this for the benefit of others. And should something happen to me, there are these wonderful people out there who will work to save me. And if we hold those two compassion ideas, rather than focusing on the fear and if I get it, I'm dead, if we hold the two compassion ideas, um, th- this will offset that fear a little bit. No, which is a huge deal. It's about not being terrifying to go outside or scared of that. It's knowing that you're doing this for the good of other people. I think that's huge. It's huge. What kind of impact do you think the actual lockdown measures and social distancing will have on people in terms of loneliness and maybe exacerbating existing mental health problems? Well, I I think it's a brilliant question because absolutely nobody knows. I mean, it's never Mm. been 
you know, it's never been uh, done before anywhere, I don't think, in, in, in the world ever. Now, we did a lot of research um, <clears throat> some years ago on what we call entrapment, that people have a sense of being entrapped. And entrapment is associated with all kinds of stress and and mental health problems. We don't know, because there's no studies going on at the moment, the degree to which the, the inability or the felt inability to go out mm. um, causing a lot of mental health but we will suspect that anxiety and depression will be going up quite radically quite quickly from the very fact of being trapped the experience of entrapment itself the inability to get out to get away you know is is a factor then you've got the effect of the entrapment on relationships so we know that domestic violence is going up very tragically very tragically mm-hmm. but that's a tip of a huge iceberg because when people are trapped, they become their nerves become afraid. So there's probably, you know, many many children who are on the receiving end of their parents' stress and mm. being shouted at and so on and so on. We don't know the long term impact on kids. We do know there's an increase in things like nightmares and children themselves are starting to get anxious about going out. This is some of the stuff we hear from Italy. So it's um, so you've got the issue of entrapment itself. Then you've got the issue of entrapment on relationships. The, what the impact that has on relationships. Then you have the impact of the lockdown in terms of people's worrying about the future. I mean, are they going to have a job to go back to? There's some people like, you know, me, like the middle classes, who got a nice house, reasonable garden. But for other people, their, their entrapment are in small flats and so on and so on. So it's a, it's a serious issue that we don't really understand. We don't really understand whether we're going to – we definitely have an epidemic of self-harm that's already on the way, mm-hmm. uh, depressions that's already on the way. Uh, anxiety that's already on the way we don't know what's going to happen to things like ocd or um, uh, obsessive compulsive disorders where people become very worried about infections that will probably go up we don't know what's going to happen to agoraphobia that will probably go up we don't know what's going to happen to people's capacity to feel socially safe with others close by how quickly uh, some people will get feel okay with being close to others again so there's so many unknowns here but what we do know almost for sure it's it's going to be pretty horrendous i think because i think a lot of people think once lockdown is done everything will go back to normal and everything will be fine do you think there will be long lasting effects of this long beyond just when lockdown is over oh absolutely undoubtedly yeah 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 this is a scarring for some people they will come out of this quite traumatized for all kinds of reasons um one of the things i think is really quite interesting and, and something that the governments should be thinking about um, is marking the end of lockdown with celebrations, uh, street parties and so on, you know, maybe big pop concerts that bring people to like Band-Aid, you know, bringing people together. Uh, the problem that we've got in doing that, however, is that lockdown does not get rid of the virus, right? Lockdown mm-hmm. stops the flow of patients into hospitals. And the moment you release people from lockdown, the virus is still there. I will be as much threat uh, when we come out of lockdown as before I went into it because the virus hasn't gone away. Um, mm-hmm. All that's changed is the flow into hospitals. The hospitals will be able to cope with cases if they go through. So I think that's a very important point. We don't know when lockdown finishes and we don't know when the risk will actually come to an end, how quickly this virus will spread through the community we'll get herd immunity or we get a vaccine we just that's that's tricky so those are two things really the lockdown is one thing but then the degree to which people feel 
threatened by the virus and can get back into everyday social activities of you know crowds and so on and so on but at some point at some point we must all come together to re-celebrate our common humanity and learn to hug and touch and hold hands again what can the government be doing to make sure i know we can't say to prevent this mental health epidemic from happening and things going badly because inevitably they will but what should the government be doing to protect people well i think um I mean, I think a lot of people who heard Johnson uh, do uh, um, Boris Johnson do his five-minute talk felt mm-hmm. that he had hit the right tone. I'm not so sure about the tone of the other government mornings because that's very fear-based, quite a cold voice. Uh, but I think uh, Boris Johnson actually hit the right tone. Of one of the things is being very empathic to the experiences that people are having. Recognize, you know, we can say, look, we recognize that these. Lockdown things will be making you anxious. They are very stressful. You may well be having nightmares and sleep difficulties. In other words, these are normal, if undesirable, uh, experiences of what you're going through. We understand that, right? So the first thing is clarity of understanding that these experiences will be causing severe uh, stress and mental strain for many, many people. So the empathy and empathic engagement, rather than just rather cold sort of you know, go home and save lives. You know, and <laughs> that's helped the mental health side of things very much. So this empathic understanding will be the first thing. Secondly, again, I think the government is probably doing this as much as it can, is trying to ensure that people stay in communication with others as much as they can through all the technologies and also for others to stay in communication with those individuals who perhaps might be a little bit shy or depressed or withdrawn or whatever. So trying as best we can to keep our social contacts because they're extremely important. So the messages that we give, having empathy for the struggle, the mental struggles we're going through, maintaining um, social contacts uh, are extremely important. Helping people focus on the fact that there will be an end and when there's an end, this is what we plan to do. Give people a future to focus on, right? Uh, that can also be extremely important. So there, there, there are a number of things that the government can do in terms of how it gives messages. I think, for example, when it talks about, it allows these experts to come on and say, oh, well, you know, we might need another two weeks or we might need another, oh, I might go on to September. In this very cavalier way, I'd stop all that. I mm. absolutely wouldn't allow that because, you know, that just, I mean, what can the normal person do except, so God, this could go on to the end of June. You don't want any of that, right? What the government needs to do is to say, look, we we will go on as long as we need to and not a day longer. We're going to try as best we can to get us out of this as quickly as we can. That's what the government should be saying, right? That's what trying to focus on the reality because that is what they're trying to do, I think, mm. rather than having these high, you know, ideas that could go on to then and go on to then because that just puts threat to people. So empathy social sharing, don't give these sort of predictions that it could go on this long or that long because that no, who, who can do anything with that? Nobody can do anything with that. And uh, ho- holding people into the future that, you know, we are planning to create a better future. We are going to have times where we bring people together, maybe have street parties or whatever we choose to do. I think, you know, N- Nelson Mandela did a brilliant job with his reconciliation processes in South Africa because he realized it was a whole community that had to come together and sort of sort out stuff and i think this we've got the same issue here we've Mm. got to come together as a nation as a community to begin to say look let's get back let's what we've learned is that we can support each other and help each other 
in in amazing ways. I mean, humans have shown just extraordinary compassion in so many ways. Let's use that now with the end of the virus to come back together and really celebrate our humanity by being together and coming together and trusting each other. I think that that would be a really important thing for us to be focusing on what we're going to do for the future psychologically. Do you think that the government at the moment are doing enough to look after people's mental health during the pandemic? I, I, well, I'm not quite sure who's advising them on this, really, mm. to be absolutely honest. I mean, I think, as I say, I personally wouldn't have these experts um, hypothesizing about how many weeks or we could this could go on to the middle of June, because that is just very scary stuff for a lot of people. So I think the government needs to just contain all that and just maintain the fact an optimistic message, which I have to say I thought Boris Johnson did pretty well, um, which is to um, focus on we are doing everything we can to get you out of this as quickly as we can. That's the message, and that really should be the main thing that people hear. That, And then it comes to the question of whether you trust the government, of course. That's a, that's the next thing. But um, And then the other point, of course, which everybody's been talking about, is the economic. How does the government address the fears of mm-hmm. economic you know, if you've lost your job or you, you know, you're not able to pay your mortgage or whatever it is. So that's another issue, and that's more of a practical issue that the government will have to work out for themselves so they can provide financial or economic reassurance and people recognising the absolute terror in some communities because they are, you know, they're living hand-to-mouth, some of the poorer people. The problem is, you, you know, a lot of the people who are coming up with all this stuff and going on and talking about this curve and that curve and everything we're all middle class right so it's easy it's easy for us because we can go home we can work from home we've got nice computers but those individuals who don't who are living in you know bed sits with single parent families or whatever it is i mean it's a very very frightening very depressing experience life experience at the moment so we have to be aware that we need to direct our messages to the most vulnerable people not to the middle classes but to mm-hmm. the most vulnerable people what would help the most vulnerable people? And I think here a little bit of research would be helpful to do a few focus groups with people who are in the poor areas and say, well, what would help you feel better? Okay, and get messages from poorer people to what they feel they want to hear from the government. Okay, because you, sometimes you can't always predict what people would find helpful. You have to ask them, <laughs> what would you find helpful? I think there's a lot of kind of anger and shaming happening at the moment as well I think it's a shame because there's so much community spirit but I've also seen a lot of people you know shaming their neighbors for sunbathing in the park or criticizing people for you know buying things that aren't essential do you think that is having any kind of impact on our mental well-being or how isolated we feel I think it's a brilliant point that because yes and of course like the people who do it it's a minority Mm. So you always have this minority who, when they have an opportunity to be critical of somebody, they're going to be critical. Um, it doesn't matter what it is. <laughs> the people that are looking for opportunities to be critical. And they don't see that maybe that person sunbathing in the park may you know, be, come from a mansion, but they might be living in a tiny little flat somewhere and just desperate to get out, right? Mm. So the point about it is naming and shaming is something that all of us should think very carefully about because it doesn't really add anything. It only adds to people's misery, unhappiness, and sense of threat. You're only going to make people cross whatever, um, you know, 
so I, I think that is a that is a big issue. And then once again, it tends to be the middle classes that are shaming those individuals who need to get out and about more. Mm. I mean, you know, there's no data on who is shaming who, but that tends to be what happens. Yeah, it's definitely a lot easier to criticise someone for being in the park if you have a massive garden. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. And the point about it is what we have to see, you know, with you know, with people who are your hearts, toilet rolls and all this stuff is that people are frightened. Mm. You know, and some of us who have been educated or, you know, whatever it is, it's okay for us. But other people who haven't, you know, they're, they're desperate. They can't make sense of it all. They, they just do what comes naturally, which is I'm frightened. I have to do, you know, I just act out my fear. Now, okay, we can say, oh, well, we, that's not the greatest thing. But, you know, not everybody has a lot of psychological coping skills at their disposal. Some people don't, you know, they're just, they're very fragile folk. And so we need to understand this, that people are doing that partly because they're frightened. It's not because they're, they're greedy. It's not like the wealthy who are greedy. <laughs> the issue of shaming and blaming it's a it is a worry actually when you have people who do this because you you can see how it spike and spiral um, out of control. BBC had a really interesting program from your correspondent from Italy and talking to an adolescent there who was saying that actually people who had got the virus or had a family who had got the virus were almost being seen as unclean and people were bringing mm. contact with them and so on and so on. So this is a human tendency to to shame individuals who uh, are disobeying authority, obeying, not obeying the rules or whatever it is. But I think we do need to be very careful about that because it can pull out the worst side of us. I mean, as you said, you know, it's people who are doing some amazing things and there are some people who are doing some not amazing things <laughs> and uh, just being critical and hostile without really appreciating people's different life experiences. Do you think that the language the government have used around social distancing measures and around lockdown have been helpful in that way or have they been harmful? Have they kind of fostered that shaming, judgmental side of things? I think it's a great question. I, I Possibly. I mean, we here have suggested that they should have used a concept such as safe relating, mm. um, distancing has a connotation, obviously, and uh, and social, you know, social distancing has been criticised by the World Health Organisation. They suggest physical distancing, but the word distancing is itself problematic. Problematic, because as you say, it has a psychological slight paranoia to it. You know, yeah. Um, was focusing on safe relating, how to relate to each other safely. That was our preferred term. Um, so I, I think finding ways in which we help people focus on the the um, compassionate, affiliative, friendly aspect of relating, uh, whilst at the same time, what is it to create a safe position within us? Now, the other reason that we like the term safe relating is because it also applies to all aspects of relationships. So if we learn to relate safely, it means we learn to relate safely in our relationships. We learn to relate safely by not spewing out our rage over, <laughs> you know, by treating each other with respect. So there are many, many aspects to safe relating, okay, and how we, and how we can relate safely to others because we can learn to trust them. So um, safe relating is, uh, I would have preferred that the use of that term than uh, social distancing. I think partly they wanted to focus on physical distancing, you know, keep your physical distancing. Yeah. That's understandable, but um, physical distancing could have been part of learning to relate social, uh, safely, safe relating, I would have focused on that myself 
Yeah, no, I agree. I like safe relating because with social distancing, I think one of the issues people have raised is that you can absolutely still be social without being physically near each other. Yeah, very much so. That's and it's and it's so important to still be social as well, right? Right. And you want to focus on see the thing. What the government is doing is focusing on threat with a rather harsh, frightening voice. You know, mm. um, whereas you want to focus on how can we create safeness between us, where we can be together in a way that we know we are respecting each other's needs to keep distance. We are respecting. We're looking after each other by um, keeping our distance. Right. It's a looking after process. It's not this sort of paranoid keep your distance, save lives. You know, um, it's okay. But I think we could have done it much better. What would you like to see the government doing going forward to kind of encourage that healthier view and, you know, just basically look after our mental well-being a bit more? Well, first of all, I think one has to have one's um, sympathies with the government. I, Absolutely. I'm, I'm, they I'm, are dealing with a pandemic. <laughs> they're trying to break they can. I think the, the first thing is to recognise that, you know, even at the best of times, um, one in four of us will have a mental health problem at some point in our lives. So mm-hmm. the problem with, is that, you know, mental health has always been the poor cousin of physical health. Mental health has always been a little bit swept under the carpet. The I worked in the health service for nearly 40 years, um, and I can tell you the number of meetings I've sat in talking about cuts, 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 cuts to service. Well, they were telling me it was an efficiency. I was telling you, no, no, you're getting rid of the service, you know. So let's firstly be honest about the fact that there is going to be this surge of mental health issues. I don't think having loads of individual therapies is the way to do it. We need to start to think about how we work as communities. How do you build a community such that as we come out of lockdown, that community will start to take an interest in those individuals who might be having problems with mental health, um, such as um, depressions, anxieties, and so forth. So we have to build community support systems. Um, when I was young, when I, in the 80s, one of the things we did when we had agrophobics, we used to um, have groups. Uh, uh, I'd see a few agrophobics, and then we'd form a group, and then we'd have more come into the group, and then more come into the group, and then the ones who had been supported would go and support others. And in the end, I think we had about 150 in the group, um, all supporting each other. And I would just keep an eye on things. And they then formed the Way Out Club and they would organize coach trips and stuff like that. That was all stopped uh, because we had to have payment by results. Unless you had an individual case, and you could show you were doing a specific therapy, then you weren't allowed to do those therapies, you know. So you, we weren't allowed to do the development of community supports. But that's absolutely what's required now is facilitating community support systems where we bring people together and we help them support each other. So, you know, particularly with the agri- people who are likely to be agrophobia, we st- start setting up agrophobia clubs in communities saying that, you know, if you're frightened about going out now and come and meet other people who are frightened of going out now and you'll have some psychologists or psych, uh, therapists or whatever who will begin to take them on as a community. So that we're going to have to find very different ways of working with the large numbers of people that are likely to have mental health problems. But I don't think individual counselling necessarily is going to be the way to go, having lots of individual counsellors. We've got to find new ways of working with vast numbers and bringing them together to support each other. 
And what can we do on an individual level in the meantime during lockdown to look after ourselves and provide support to other people as well? Well, that's great. We've actually got we've got a whole series of talks on our website. So you can go and have a look at there's certain, certain things, right? Think of the think of the motivation which is the most helpful to you, right? So, for example, at the beginning of our discussion, we were talking about you can be focused on the fear and you've got to stay indoors because if you don't, you get the virus, you could die, or blah blah blah. Whereas if you focus on the fact, well, actually, I'm doing this because my sacrifice is to help others and others are out there sacrificing to help me. Should I get sick? There are these wonderful people who will try and help me in doing these 12-hour shifts and so on. So remembering that you are surrounded by you know thousands, you know, if not millions of others who are all going to be working to help you should you need it. So I think that's the first thing. Tuning into the motivation that's helpful to you, particularly a compassionate motivation, um, keep your mind focused on the short term, not so much the long term, although try to re- bring to mind things that you really want to do when you come out. Mm-hmm. Because one of the other things I think that when we come out, some of us will come out joyfully and we'll be able to celebrate all the things we couldn't have done. So celebrating our first visit to a restaurant, you know, celebrating our first free walk around a park, celebrating our ab- ability to go to the beach, to swim, whatever it is. We'll be able to start celebrating, focus on celebrating what you're going to do. So, <coughs> excuse me. And the other thing is learning how to regulate your own emotions because those can really run away with you. So focusing, do, learning a little bit of mindfulness skills maybe, uh, going on the internet, looking at all the different um, techniques that are out there that might be of use to you, finding a way that helps you because it's all very personal. Um, this is all very personal. Having a some kind of organization for your day, even if it's a little bit hazy, you know, like, you know, whether you're going to watch some stuff on the television or play with the kids or what you're going to do, have a little bit of structure. Because again, unstructured days can be the ones that are most difficult when you're just waiting for the time to go. That can be quite hard. So, you know, those are just a few things. And finally, is there anything that you're especially looking forward to doing once lockdown does end? I think what all of us are wondering about, right, is, is this the beginning of the end of neoliberalism? Okay, Mm -hmm. so I'm involved with a group called Compassion in Politics, and all of us are beginning to think, how can we use this to direct people to the fact that actually we do need to develop a society which isn't just about competing and making as much money for ourselves. It is about creating a world that actually supports each other Uh, in a cooperative, caring and sharing way. And certainly we're going to have to seriously build up our health services all over the world because, you know, if a virus kicks off in China or Africa, if they don't have the the medical services, it's going to spread. And viruses have always been a killer. I mean, you know, we've been warned about this virus coming since whenever, for ages. Mm. We've done nothing about it. So, one of the things I'm looking forward to is um, personal, lots of personal things, obviously, is just seeing how much we can contribute to getting ways of thinking about how we use this as a lever to create a different kind of world, different kind of society that's much, much more sensitive, much more cooperative, much more sharing and caring of each other mm. uh, so that we can begin to address things like climate change, address the next virus, because uh, there's another one coming, there's no doubt about it. And we're going to have to be careful because... If the next time we have a flu and it starts killing people, we're not going to go into lockdown. 
so we we we've got to start learning how we deal with death as well you know there's a there's a big issue another talk we could have about this about death has landed on our doorstep and we medicine has protected us for this for some years now and suddenly we've become aware actually life is very fragile yeah <laughs> uh, it's uh, it's a bit of a shock you know a bit of a wake-up shock If you've been affected by any of the stuff we talked about today, or you're struggling with your mental health amid the pandemic, you can contact the Samaritans on 116-123 or go to the website at samaritans.org. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.